0: Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world, professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And
1: now, Go Engineer's own, Tyler Reed and Tate Brown.
0: (laughs) All right. Hey, Friday morning. How are you?
1: Energized.
0: Are you energized? We got in late last night.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Uh-huh. But I'm I'm trying to stay energized through the weekend. Almost 2 weeks on the road. Yeah. I mean, you had a fishing tournament. So you yeah. were 2 weeks 2 weeks on the road. Solid. Wow. Can can we just talk a little bit about how beautiful central Pennsylvania is? Gorgeous. I have never seen Such greenery. Yeah. And the cool old buildings, the neighborhoods, the roads that you didn't know how to drive on. Mm -hmm. Incredible. So we live
0: basically in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And everyone, at least on the western half of the U.S., talks about the Rocky Mountains. And I don't think I've ever respected the Appalachians. But that's changing. Beautiful.
1: Beautiful. I'd live there. I could have picked. I, I I could have picked just about any one of those houses yeah, absolutely. to live in.
0: Um, we were in State College, Pennsylvania, visiting Exact Metal because we have one of their machines. Actually, it is on its way to our office as we speak.
1: Yeah, which is on the Penn State campus. Yeah, right. So, pretty incredible visit. They have a great facility. They have loads and loads of good resources and people nearby. And it was fun to to get in there and get our hands on a machine finally. Yeah. We got to see our machine being packed. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's in transit. Exact Metal formed in 2017
0: and they launched their first product in 2018. That's about the time where I first visited their facility, uh, we were trying to establish a partnership with them at that time. So going back three years now. And when you're a company like us, you're a reseller and you bring on multiple products, there is this um, element of you, you have to you have to create partnerships that align with each other and don't create conflict or competition with each other. And that was always what kept us from uh, partnering with exact metal is that they competed too much with our existing product line. You know, at the time Stratasys had efforts um, and motivation to get into metal and that has changed. Um, Also at the time, we had a existing relationship with desktop metal and so those two things really kept us from uh capturing that partnership that we sought with exact metal which you probably understand this now they had a very compelling product i love it
1: i love it it's not i want to be honest yeah and say it is not additive in probably the sense that our listeners think of it, certainly not the way I think of additive in the sense that it's like, set it and forget it. You know, the old Ronco sure. things. Like, the technology
0: is squarely additive, but you're talking about the user experience.
1: It's not pure. It's not purely additive. No metal system is. Right, and that's kind of... This being my first hands-on experience, really, with any metal additive, Mm -hmm. obviously, we're in this world where we see it all the time. And now, you actually got to go through a workflow. A couple times, we got to take parts out of the machine. We got to take parts off build plates and remove supports, etc. There's some subtractive involved in the post-processing. Yeah. Whether it be clippers, as simple as clippers, which some of the support removal is, depending on geometry, uh, bandsaw, EDM, milling. The process afterwards, it's not easy. It's not as easy as thermoplastics.
0: Yeah. So one thing I do want to talk about later is your thoughts on handling and dealing with the powdered metal. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, let's, let's jump back a little bit. The exact metal system is a laser powder bed fusion system. The technology, the underlying technology involves powdered metal and a laser sweeping across that powdered metal bed and sintering the, uh, the materials. Um, sometimes that is known as DMLS. You may have heard it as SLM. EBM is very similar in how it works, but some of the details are slightly different. Like you don't technically have a laser, you have an electron beam, and also it's done in a vacuum instead of just in inerted environment, but it's essentially the same. So it's important to know like a lot of those terms, DMLM, DMLS, EBM, LPBF, are more or less interchangeable for this laser powder bed fusion type system. And this particular system is very
1: bare bones, right? You think that's fair to say? I mean, that the the envelope they fit this in is in my opinion, incredibly small. Uh, The footprints very minimal. And then when you open up the system and get inside, it's, Seems like something you can work on. Anybody yeah. Yeah. can work on.
0: it's. There's no bells and whistles. I think it's the bare minimum to get
1: a high quality part. Yeah. And I I don't know. I Bare bones may not be the right term for me. Something about it's not hitting me quite right. Okay. Because it's definitely elegant. Yeah. And it's form factor and the way it's put together. So I don't feel like bare bones. Plus, I haven't. You've seen the Velo system, for example, and you've seen the extent of the high-end solutions on the market. So uh, it's not fair to ask me. I would say it's a fully fleshed out product,
0: 100%. But if you look at, if you're familiar with a DMLS system from EOS or SLM, Renishaw, something like Velo what what the exact metal team has done is taken just like what's the bare minimum to make this work in a way that delivers like a fully dense part, and let's focus on that, and let's create a product that is at the most basement price point possible for a quote unquote professional system that's what I meant by bare bones, bare bones. yeah, I mean it's fully fleshed out when you if you were to bring the system in and someone saw it, it wouldn't look like it was homemade.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cobbled together. Definitely not. It's it's beautiful. And I think one of the coolest parts that speaks to how well it's put together and like the simplicity of it is the install time. They're saying is like you could set a clock to it, two yeah. to three hours. Tops. Yeah. So we're actually going to unbox ours. And as long as our facility is prepared, which facility prep isn't too bad, Not too bad. for this machine. So we're going to see. Yeah. We're going to hold them to that two hour install time and see if we can yeah. do it. What we needed to do ahead
0: of time for facility safety wise is and, and functionality wise. We needed power. So in this case, the machine just required a 20 amp 110 volt circuit. Do you, when you when you talk about that voltage, just by the way, household voltage, do you say 110 or do you say 120?
1: Or do you say 115? Just, 110, 120, whatever it takes. You don't know that reference, do you? No. It's Mr. Mom. It's an old like Michael Keaton movie. He's like, <laughs> so what did you install? 110? He's like, yeah, 110, 120. Whatever it takes. And he's just trying to impress the guy, but he knows nothing about it. Um, but, but actually it could be. It but yeah, I don't I don't think I I always say one ten. Pretty much yeah. always. Yeah. It's just strange. Okay, anyway,
0: so it's a twenty amp circuit. It's a, it's a basic it's a basic circuit. Is it twenty amps or fifteen? Um it's it's actually twenty. Okay. Yeah. And uh fifteen,
1: twenty, whatever yeah. it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, A gas source. So we'll be using argon. Um, Would you have a choice? You can use nitrogen as well on this system. And nitrogen will be a little bit cheaper to use, but you may not get the same mechanical properties that you would under an argon-inerted environment. So for the type of user on this system, some might be attracted to nitrogen uh, I would, I would think most people would just default to argon. I think we'll start with cylinders, compressed gas cylinders.
1: You're essentially you're you're micro welding, right? Yeah. So argon makes sense. Yeah. Those of you who have some welding experience, and certain alloys
0: would require argon, so it just seems easier just to standardize on argon. Um, they were using doers, right? Explain a doer. A doer is a probably people you've seen them, whether you've seen them in person or you've seen them in movies, you've seen them, maybe you didn't know what they were. Imagine a large stainless steel cylinder that's on wheels. Maybe it's three feet in diameter and four to five feet tall. And it's a high density way of storing gases. Cause they actually ship in liquid form and then they vaporize or off gas. And, uh, as, as they vaporize, as they phase change from liquid to gas, the density is changing as well. So storing it in liquid form allows you to get a much higher capacity in the same volume, but because they're always off gassing, they're constantly vented to the atmosphere so that they don't build up pressure. So, long story short, if you have high gas consumption that's consistent over time, a doer is a great option.
1: Doer D E W A R. Yeah. Doer.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Keep that in mind if you want to look this up
0: later. <laughs> um But if you're not using it often, you'll just lose everything you purchased to the air. So if you go a week, two weeks, three weeks without using it, you may come back and it's empty.
1: So what's our approach going to be for our system? I think our approach
0: will be start with some cylinders, just your conventional compressed gas cylinders that don't leak, but they're not as high density. So and are we going to link those up? I would think that you would want at least two um, manifolded together for the extra capacity because some of these prints will go for tens of hours. Um, So you want enough cat capacity and perhaps you have even more than two manifolded or a way to hot swap one. Long story short, if you are using cylinders, you're going to have to have multiples and some sort of plumbing to connect multiples together. And we'll see how that goes. It's, It's kind of tough because you and I travel and we'll be running the machines. So if, we were dedicated there running the system uh, and always available. I think it would be a no brainer. We start with doers, but if you and I are going to be gone for a week and then you play a little bit of catch up and it's going to be hard for us to keep that machine going as much as we want to.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: As far as safety goes, we have a class D fire extinguisher. So it's a big yellow fire extinguisher. Um, We have an air quality monitor. The air quality monitor monitors particulates in the air, so it would measure any sort of dust in the air, Mm -hmm. powder powder metal in the air. We have an external O2 sensor. The machines themselves have O2 sensors. Rather
1: than saying we have, we need. We have. But we need these items. We do need these. So anybody purchasing this system or one similar, these are things to be thinking about in terms of the safety needs and requirements of the system.
0: exactly. If you're looking at any sort of powdered metal system, these would be required um, or strongly suggested. And there may be more requirements depending on... The metal. Well, the metal, yes. And also just your local... County code. Gotcha. Okay. Um, So we have an O2 sensor. The O2 sensor is measuring the O2 in the ambient air. And really what it's doing is it's looking for any drop in oxygen levels, which would signal that you might have a leak with your inerting gas, argon or nitrogen, which would be unsafe. Like argon, if you had a doer in this small room, yeah, in argon, yeah, yeah. So we're in a room that's like maybe eighteen feet long by ten feet wide. If you had a big doer in here, and you close the door and let it sit for three weeks, it would be fairly unsafe to come in after that. Um, It's it's you you can't sense it. maybe you would notice your voice getting deeper (laughs) maybe um you can inhale argon to just like helium yep it's you it's a noble gas just like helium um it's not the heaviest but it is heavy it is heavy yeah and which is dangerous because like you said it could if it's in your lungs it it goes down to the bottom of your lungs and uh, you have to do cartwheels to get it out (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay oh thanks for the <laughs> safety lesson and, so,
0: and uh so we will be doing just non-reactive metals non-oxygen
1: reactive which i the we, two we're starting with are 316 stainless yeah yep. and m300 yeah which will yeah
0: often that's called like a miraging steel in additive um it's one of the easier to use tool steels so storage of those materials is less, less restrictive than an oxygen reactive. Right. Alloy, like aluminum or titanium. Uh, and
1: so- let's talk materials though. Like okay. what's available now. So you have copper, mm-hmm. bronze, yep. titanium. Uh,
0: you can print titanium on this machine, yeah. They have one customer in Japan that's printing in titanium right now. Inconel. Yep, 718 and 625. Pasteloy X? Uh, I don't know about that one. I don't know if they've done it. Um, certainly you could, and you could start with the laser parameters for, like, Inconel. And kind of fine tune from there,
1: and then the basics like we have three sixteen. Yeah, uh, there's other stainless seventeen four. Yep, fifteen five. Yep, like a 420. 400 series stainless. Yep, and they have they had some aluminum samples. Yeah, Yep. When we were there, yeah, this is your
0: sh- more common additive alloy. It's um, it's an Al silicon. Magnesium alloy,
1: aluminum, silicon, magnesium. Hmm. So this thing does a pretty broad range of materials, and they have like some starter parameter sets that they give everyone. Or is that yeah? Just us? Are we kind of experimental? Are they giving us additional stuff? Or uh, so you have they have laser parameters
0: that. Some are more fully developed than others, um, but they would give anything that they have to anybody who wanted it, any customer who wanted it.
1: That's the feeling that they gave us. Like, hey, if you have a customer that wants to do this, we'll let us know. We'll help them out. We'll give them a starter set of parameters. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the laser parameters are? Sure. I mean, from the start, you mean... Basically everything from my knowledge, it's the beam width, right? Yep. You set up beam width, you set up hatch spacing and speed, yeah, essentially, yeah, those are the three main ones they adjust, yeah, so it's if if you're coming at this
0: from a space where you've been using Cura and you have all of your different parameters that you're used to using, like extrusion speed, layer height, um, nozzle temperature, like you know that there's dozens and dozens of parameters. These these powder bed fusion systems have the same thing, except you are controlling the laser path, the laser attributes like speed and power, um, spot size, all sorts of things. And then you also have the concept of different areas of the park, top skin, down skin, sides, contours, rasters.
1: Yeah. And they generally, from what I could tell, it comes down to two or three adjustments once you have your base set of parameters. Yeah.
0: And how, how do they know when they're close?
1: So... I thought it was actually cool because it's a visual test initially Mm -hmm. from what I could tell. And they are printing these kind of upside down cones. And so you can see the top surface of the cone and the adhesion to the build plate. But everything is listed right there. And so you're basically just doing a visual test like here's my best looking part. This is where we're not overly dense or under...
0: Right? Yeah. Under dense would maybe look like a sponge. Kind of you have
1: porosity right in it. Over dense would be kind of wavy, lumpy. And I'm gonna have to get used to that too, because a lot of those samples looked decent to me. Yeah. But you could definitely tell which one was the best. So yeah. and then they're doing density testing after that. Yeah. Right? So once they have that set up, then they're printing these little samples that are different. In shape, and they're taking it to a density set tester, uh-huh, which is pretty cool. It is cool it's It's like we a, need to
0: get one we do need to get one. so those cones uh what they are varying actually is the height or the distance from the laser lens to the build plate. They're varying that very slightly. And what that does is it varies the spot size very slightly. So the spot size is essentially a measurement of how in focus the laser is. On this particular setup, if it was a spot size of about 20 microns, that's about as tight as the laser can focus. Um, In most cases, you don't want that. It's too concentrated of power. So you want the laser to be sl- the the lazing plane to be slightly out of focus. And so what in this case they've they've said okay for our layer height 30 microns we want about a 100 micron spot size. And so those cones are all a little bit of, what they're trying to do is figure out at what height am I at a 100 micron spot size. Once they find that then they print another sample at that spot size that varies hatch hatch size, I believe, and what else? Speed, lasing speed. And so they do a, a DOE or design of experiment where they vary the hatch speed or the hatch size and the lasing speed. Say you create a grid of... Twelve to fifteen samples, and then you density test each one of those with their little setup here, and that's how they go about confirming the the lasing parameters. They're optimized for density.
1: What is the density they they're trying to get? They are trying to achieve ninety nine point
0: nine or ninety nine point five percent of the rot density. So essentially you're trying to eliminate everything but the smallest micro porosity in the part.
1: Which they've been having good success. Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh on this system, you know, there is a way for users to vary all of this. So if you are interested in doing some material research or printing in materials that are maybe non-standard and, uh, or you have parts that maybe are specialized, very tiny parts that are thin-walled or bulky parts. Like You have access to all of the laser parameters to adjust these,
1: which is cool too because not everyone offers that. And they did recommend, like, don't get into this too much if you don't have a material scientist close by. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to, you're going to get all your parameters out of whack. You're not going to know the why behind what you're doing. And then you're going to have unsuccessful builds. It's, it's an appealing um, option to
0: have available to you, but you don't want to rely on that, right? Like if you, if you purchased any printer, And they're like, Hey, you buy our printer and it's just the hardware. You have to figure out how to make it work. That wouldn't be a successful product, like on any level, even if it meant, Hey, you can buy this for a hundred dollars. It would be a nightmare. Uh, and, and the same thing, um, it's nice to have, but I don't think most users would really want to rely on it. They want something that
1: at least works out of the box. And from what I can tell it does. And yeah. getting back to the bare bones thing. Yeah. I just looked at some of my notes from our thing. Yeah. I realized one of the reasons why I don't like the bare bones description. And maybe this is, it still could be bare bones, but the componentry they have in the machine is high end. Yes. They did not skimp. So yes. the quality of the components are high. And there may not be a surplus of those components or sensory or any any extra redundancy. There, There may not be extra, but the quality of the components in the machine is certainly not subpar. The one that stands out to me is the laser. Right.
0: It's first and foremost, it's a fiber laser and you do have some metal additive systems that come in at a lower price point, you know, in the thirty dollars to $70,000 range. But those are primarily blue diode lasers. They're like 2-watt diode lasers or 5-watt or something. And is this a 200-watt? 200-watt fiber laser uh, made by IPG. So it's not a knockoff fiber laser. It is the most well-known fiber laser manufacturer inside that unit another thing another cool thing about the componentry is all of the
1: printed parts oh yeah absolutely yeah they so we see this on some of our stratasys machines there's some fdm parts that help build up the system but for some reason it's so much cooler when it's metal yeah so they use a lot of these components I can't remember how many they said. Was there um, They 10? estimated
0: 15. 10 or 15? Uh-huh. And they print anything that's metal, printed metal, they print in-house. Anything that is plastic, it looked like there were some HP parts in there and also some sort of SLS part. Uh, those those look like they come off an HP machine or whatever. Those, those come from a, a large service bureau. Yeah. A well-known service bureau. <laughs> and uh, they were estimating that by printing some of these m- more complex parts, they shaved about 10% off their cost of the machine.
1: Right. Because at this point, it's it's a low-run system. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that the this system is not the fastest system out there either. Right. Typical Galvo system, this might be 20 to 30% slower. Yes. So the builds are gonna take a little longer. Um, 24 hour build is not inconceivable.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that. Most, pretty much every other DMLS system out there uses a fiber, like high-end high system, uses a fiber laser, that laser shoots into a galvanometer. A galvanometer is a lens that pivots very quickly. So it might sit straight up above the build plate and it is what directs the laser down towards the build plate. And it, because that, the mirror is the only thing that's moving, it can move very, very quickly. So it might be able to jog at speeds of two meters per second but the galvanometer is an expensive component. So the way that they approach this system is set up more like a CO2 laser cutter. Um, CO2 laser cutter has a tube laser, but the mechanism, the gantry system, the XY gantry to move a series of mirrors is is how they modeled their machine. And uh, it's slower. It jogs at about 800 millimeters per second. The um, jogging speed does play into build speed, but lazing speed is not half the speed. Like you said, it's maybe 30% yeah. um, slower. One benefit is that no matter where you are at on the build plate, the laser is always pointing straight down. It's always orthogonal to the build plate which means your spot size is consistent and always tight. Because you can imagine on a Galvo system, the the laser's coming in at an angle. So as you get to the extremes of the build plate, your spot size becomes more oval and more diffuse. And that's why we see round build plates. Some vendors use round build plates. Yeah, Velo does, for example. It creates a scenario where you you don't have to suggest that, hey, don't print parts in the corners of your, of your build plate. So this is a great, a great um, and on top of the low volume aspect, reason why they're printing parts, that scanner, to create a scanner that moves, the gantry that moves as fast as it, as it does, you actually need a very lightweight componentry. So printing is a perfect way to shave weight out of
1: that, in terms of the well i I want to talk about the people there. I don't want to name names, but yeah. just what's the overall feeling that you got? I from love this company, guys.
0: I love these guys, and what I love about them is that they are authentic they and it and it it shows in their product too, but them they don't try to be anything
1: that they aren't. They have very specific goals, mm-hmm. and there's no fluff. Yeah. They're like, we want to have an accessible quality printer at a certain price point, and we want to stay there. Even if we improve later on, we want to stay in that that range. Yeah. And they have ways to do it. It's, it's a breath of fresh
0: air. Uh, because... When you have a product like a, a metal additive system, it actually is easy to charge a premium uh, just because it is exclusive. And these guys very are very uh, direct
1: about wanting to avoid that, which I appreciated. And then last thing I want to say, I, just my overall thoughts on the, the usability of the machine. It seems hard to, like, the machine seems very stout and robust and resilient. And the reason I say that is because, like, the the build plate is a flat sheet of steel, essentially. And when we were looking at those build plates, they were used and abused. Oh, yeah. And they don't face them on a mill. No. Angle grinder. They use an angle grinder. (laughs) So they're using a bandsaw to separate the parts from the build plate and then an angle grinder to smooth it out. Yeah. And this thing... Or a belt sander. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so... It's resilient enough that I was amazed that, that, you know, the build plates they were throwing in there, just no problem. And I knew they were no problem. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, these build plates are a little beat up. We'll see if this works. It's like, they're just throwing them in there. and Never said a thing about it. And in my mind, I'm like, (laughs) is this going to work? And it was just nothing.
0: They didn't have an eye at it. And over the course of a few days, we saw parts just coming off those machines. Yep. Um, Real quick. Do you have any concerns now
1: about bringing powdered metal into our lab? Oh, yeah. We were going to get to this. Yeah. It was so easy. The room actually was similar to the size of this one that they had two machines in. And we dealt with both machines with our positive pressure 3M masks. Yep. Uh, We can probably get a part number to whoever, but no. I mean, we only had to have them on for minutes. The process was super quick. And I have no worries about powder. Which is
0: very eye-opening. And that's something that I do want to bring to our audience when we have this machine installed and we're able to video it and whatnot is to show that powdered metal, you do have to treat it with respect, but it's not going to blow up your facility, especially a non-reactive
1: metal. The room was clean too. Yeah. It, and it didn't look like they had detailed it like right before we came. We, wa- Us walking through a welding shop,
0: we exposed ourselves, to, I would think, to more hazards than us operating that machine.
1: Yeah. Far and away. Well, it's pretty good abbreviated yeah. um, kind of explanation of our trip, but yeah, we wanted to get that to you while it was fresh on our minds. Yeah. Um, we'll come
0: back to you with more. Uh, we're going to be moving our machines into the new lab next week. That'll be exciting. But I would say this this episode is probably how we fell in love with DMLS. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> it's not as scary anymore. No, no. It, but there
0: is a lot of post-printing involved. It, which, which we'll be forthright about in the coming days. It's great because we all talk about additive manufacturing, um, but you don't get to just say that for free, right? right. The, the manufacturing component of that brings some responsibilities. Yep. All right,
1: cool. Well, let's talk next week. Okay. See you then.